0: Okay, back on another uh, episode, show, whatever. It's uh, 1 o'clock, 1,300 for you military types on uh, 4-6 instead of 4-5. I did have to move this thing out by a day just because of other requirements. But that's why I call it weekly-ish because sometimes it is on schedule. Sometimes it is not. Um, It was not. So, you know, what are you going to do? It is what it is. Anyway, um, if this doesn't go live, it's fine. I'll just record the thing and that's that. uh and here we are so let's keep on rolling um so following on uh port 445 port 445 has got an smb type thing affiliated with it it's probably one of the number one um types of easy pwnage things that you could get into and this has been around since forever ago like forever ever ago um and if you're really, you know, looking at this um, as far as a, a, an avenue of compromise, if someone can find port 445 on a system connected to the Internet, there should at least be authentication enabled. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to do this, but I'm just saying it's doable and I'm going to describe some of this stuff so that people can understand what's going on here. I did a little bit of poking around via Shodan because Shodan's awesome and looking at port 445 and then looking for literally the classifier authentication disabled. Now, again, port 445, the vulnerability associated with that is probably a decade plus of of easy, notable, you should fix this thing. Of all the shit you should patch, this should be it. However, when you go off and do the queries and look around and do those types of things, um, I found over a million uh, port 445 connected to the Internet. Now, of that million, as you dwindle them down and get the number lower and you start looking for things without authentication, globally, there was about half a million, so 50% reduction. Go further down and you get into the United States. Again, port 445, decade-plus level of remote code vulnerability, a 10 out of 10, with authentication disabled, was still able to find about a hundred thousand in total. Now, looking into those organizations that are tied into this that don't have um, authentication enabled and this port four four five, and literally these are not um, these are not going to be honeypots, I would think because of what they're connected to. These are not organizations that I would typically consider to be um, adept at honeypotting. Uh, And they're small organizations, which is maybe a good thing. But those small organizations typically jump into other organizations. Now, uh, I will, of course, alert these organizations like I always do. Um, There's a cable, uh, like a TV cable uh, company that looks like it does lots of localized cable things um, in Texas that has got 10 of these systems um, out there that are sitting there totally vulnerable like real uh, C dollar sign, IPC dollar sign, which is for uh, those of us that do this type of thing, you see that and it's, you're licking your chops. Um, Going further down into that, if I look around uh, for just authentication disabled, look in the US on port 445 uh, and go quickly into it, um, there's over 13,000 hits. Um, within that 13,000. And again, there's no authentication. These are straight up vulnerable. Like literally, it says eternal blue on a lot of these 13,000 of those. Uh, and as you get further into that, you can start to see that there are trends in these organizations that are not um, putting the right controls in front. Uh, just for shits and giggles. Like let's pick the oldest operating system that you could find um, on these, and I'm looking at Windows 5.1, vulnerable with port 445 with Eternal Blue connected to the internet with no no uh, authentication on it. Um, there's 281 of those. Of those 281, a lot of them are tied to organizations that do things like host other organizations Um, there's a warehouse there is data systems there's a telephone company there's a uh, cloud computing company there's an investment firm that i all see here Uh, it would be stupid easy to go just do bad things to those organizations the point i'm trying to make is that these are this is a decade old type of exploit this has been patched it's been fixed it's remediated. whatever those organizations some of them i was looking at didn't exist 10 years ago but they have still been put into production connected to the internet with this misconfiguration with someone allowing this to be there and oh by the way authentication disabled and it's not one it's not two it's not three just quick stupid thing and i did this about six minutes before I kicked this sucker off 13,000 in the U S um, half a million globally. Uh, if you went and really poked around now, a lot of those probably would be honeypots. but point is I don't have to go towards a major organization. I don't have to worry about going at a bank or federal or whatever else. What is the likelihood that those super assets have connections into other systems? And when you look, since most of them say admin, IPC dollar sign, admin, uh, blah, blah, blah. If you don't know what that is, go look it up. But how much further could I get to that network? What else is connected? Third parties are going to eat people's lunch for a long, long time. And some of those organizations are somewhat sizable, you know, a few hundred employees, that type of thing. But they're going to be connected somewhere. They're going to have access. Uh, And you can work your way through this. The more connected Stuff is, the more potential vulnerabilities that there are. And it's 10 plus years of a really vulnerable thing being out there and publicly available. Okay, enough beating a dead horse. Um, if, if you're sleeping under a rock, you probably heard about Operation Cookie Monster. Um, this is on Reuters, uh, Michael Holden, James Pearson, Christopher Bing um police action seizes dark web market international law enforcement agencies seized a sprawling dark web marketplace popular with cyber criminals britain's nca the national crime agency said on wednesday it was called operation cookie monster so good job on naming it um, that's actually a pretty funny one a banner plastered across genesis market's site late on tuesday said domains belonging to the organization been seized by the fbi logos of other european canadian australian police organizations were in across the site so Kind of a kick in the face to the bad guys that they took the site down and then they go off and market with a bunch of federal things. We assess that the Genesis, the marketplace, is one of the most significant access marketplaces anywhere in the world, said Rob Jones, NCA's director, General Thread Leadership. The service estimated to host about 80 million credentials and digital fingerprints stolen from more than 2 million people. Now, do the math on that. If they had 80 million creds that was stolen from 2 million people, how many people had creds that are similar and et cetera, et cetera? Um yeah. US Justice Department Attorney General Lisa Monaco in a statement said that forums users uh were arrested on Tuesday. A senior FBI official said arrests had been made in the United States but declined to provide further details, still ongoing investigation. British authorities said 17 countries were involved in the operation which was led by the FBI and Dutch national police and resulted in about 120 arrests and more than 200 searches and 100 p- pieces of preventative activity whatever that is. Um genesis specialized in the sale of digital projects especially browser fingerprints harvested computers infected with malicious software Uh, the site had been active since 2018 nca said genesis had operated by selling credentials from as little 70 cents to hundreds of dollars depending on the data that was available Uh, nca said countries involved in the investigation australia canada denmark estonia finland france uk us germany iceland italy new zealand poland romania spain sweden switzerland so large organizational uh, international collaboration cooperation managed to take down a dark web marketplace they'll be back uh it, it, the, yes they took them down yes they made some arrests good for them kudos to the group that did the work well done but I, we really shouldn't say that they've been taken down because they'll just pivot to somewhere else guaranteed there's some other admin there's some other organization that's tied to this that will just come back it'll be it'll be a down quote for 60 days, maybe less. And then the same stuff will pop up somewhere else. Um, Does it mean you stop? No. But is it something to be aware of and be real about? Yes. Um, I'm glad to see the international organization was able to collaborate and get this done. But is it going to make, you know, a giant uh, impact on cybersecurity writ large? Not when there's half a million port 445s out there on the internet available to somebody. Um, Go fix that shit. Just saying, you know a thought uh there's a report by NoBefore um which does phishing training and whatever else but the the side of the report is state and local government struggle to defend against ransomware and business email compromise now this is kind of confusing to me because this is a company that markets itself for helping organizations get over ransomware and phishing and whatever else and business email compromise with their training and education so the they're putting a report out to say that state and local governments, which I think a lot of them have contracts with, you no know, before, uh, are still getting fished um, or BEC and ransomware and whatever else. I I'm a little bit kerfuffled at like where this came from, but the stats are kind of interesting. Um, key findings in this report include many municipalities, cybersecurity budgets are underfunded and do not exist. Sure. Uh, most state cybersecurity budgets are between zero and three percent of their overall IT budget wow additionally 18 states have a cybersecurity budget line item and only 16 percent of states reported an increase since 2018 the 2022 ic3 report reveals that in 2022 BEC business email compromise attacks generated a total of two billion uh, or yeah uh, two billion dollars plus in losses across sectors an increase of 346 million. There are 1.7 million ransomware attacks every day, which means 19 ransomware attacks occur every second. Ransomware attacks on state and local governments last an average of 7.3 days. Downtime alone generates an average loss of $64,645. Yeah. So, I mean, is there, a, is there a real walk away from that one? I don't know. It's not shocking to me that state and local governments are not investing heavily in cybersecurity because they're trying to solve a hundred other problems with a hundred other things with a limited pool of money. Cybersecurity, like we all know, winds up being an afterthought. Um, when you've got to feed people, when you've got to house people, when you've got to you know take care of um, state issues, you're gonna put cybersecurity at the bottom end of that budget it just is what it is priorities um now as you go more digital maybe that will become different but i'm not sure exactly where that goes or how it lines up it's not surprising um, but the report is interesting just from for me like why why is an organization that markets itself is solving this problem talking about the problem is that a good thing or a bad thing or is that truth in marketing or what um I'm I'm a, I'm a little confused, um, but good data. Thanks for sharing. Um, okay, cool. Uh, this is a new tactic uh, that's come out, which is definitely worth knowing about. This is from Yonut, and I'm not going to try and say the person's last name because I'll butcher it, but this is on Bleeping Computer. Um, fake ransomware gang targets US orgs with empty data leak. So basically what they're talking about here is organizations that are being targeted with fake ransomware and are falling victim to it and allowing access and uh, basically putting themselves into a compromised position because of um, uh, a fake. And if you read the report uh, and of course my dogs bark, because that's what dogs do. If you read the report, um, fake extortionists are piggybacking on data breaches. Uh, and ransomware incidents threatening u.s companies with publishing or selling a- allegedly stolen data unless they get paid sometimes the actors add the menace of a ddos attack if the message receiving does not comply with the instructions the message the attackers behind this activity used a midnight and started targeting companies in the u.s since march 16th uh, the attackers also have impersonated ransomware data extortion gangs in emails and claimed to be the authors of the original intrusion stealing gigabytes of data uh, in one email to the employee of a holding company in the industry of petroleum additives, the threat actor claimed to be a ransom group, a splinter of Conti, focused on stealing data and extorting the victims, also known as Luna Moth. And I'll talk about that in a second. But the same message, however, using a subject line in the name of another threat actor, Suter Ransomware Group, first seen to encrypt networks in December 2021. Um, so I think there's there's two takeaways from this. Number one... You've got criminal groups piling on top of other criminal groups that are using previous breaches to basically fake that they've targeted an organization and say that we've got you and say that they've got their data and then get them to almost act like they've been ransomed, even though they haven't. And they'll throw they'll threaten with a DDoS attack or fake data or whatever else, and then they get paid. Um, And then you've also got this confusing thing, which I've talked about in the past and which I think is a pretty well-known industry problem of how the hell are we supposed to have targeted defenses when there is no standard for nomenclature within all these organizations? If you put 50 different threat intelligence services together, you get 50 different names for, for organizations that are doing bad things. I mean, just right there in that one sentence, there was five or six of them that all were cross spreading and cross whatever and it's just confusing as hell so i think if we're trying to get a um a real line on you know what what actually is valuable there needs to be a standardization across threat intelligence that says if it's an a- organization out of china here's how we tag them here's how we name them etc if it's an organization out of russia here's how we tag them name them, etc otherwise it's not helpful i mean wasn't that supposed to be part of something that sticks and taxi were going to help us with and MITRE and all these other things, but it's still not any better. I mean, I, I read that report and I sit around all day long reading cyber stuff. And I don't really know that I had the energy to go dig through all the stuff to figure out which friggin' organization they're talking about and the TTPs. It seems like it's more problematic than beneficial if you ask me. Uh, and again, I'll put the links to all this stuff when I'm done with this. Um, so uh, the record reported this, Alexander Martin, more evidence links the 3CX supply chain attack to North Korean hacking groups. If you're not familiar with 3CX, it's getting pretty interesting. Uh, supply chain attacks on the enterprise phone company, 3CX used hacking code that exactly matches malware previously seen attacks by a notorious North Korean group. Establishing the extent of the damage caused by the hack has been a priority for researchers after a number of uh, cybersecurity businesses went public with C3X compromise, including... Sentinel-1, Sophos, and CrowdStrike. At the time, CrowdStrike said there was suspected nation-state involvement in the attack by groups it calls Labyrinth Kalima, again, back to this weird nomenclature thing, and described as one of the most prolific half groups based in North Korea. Other researchers, other researchers refer to it as the Lazarus Group. So right there in one paragraph is part of the problem is CrowdStrike calls it this, other groups call it that. As far as I've known it, anything coming out of North Korea was known as Lazarus Group but now we're calling it Kalima or whatever. and Maybe there's something that's in the mix here that that the general public, including myself, are not necessarily aware of, but that seems like it would be problematic to have the same thing named different ways. Um, It's not a good deal. Uh, Sophos added more evidence Friday to this attribution, saying that a shellcode loader the attacker used has only previously been seen in incidents attributed to Lazarus, so if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, meh. A financially motivated hacking organization, Lazarus, uh, has been noted in multiple cyber hypes, uh, cyber heists, rather, and allegedly was sponsored by the North Korean government. Um, the code in this incident is a byte to byte match, those previous samples said Sophos. The attackers were able to manip- manipulate the 3CX application in such a way that users were able to use 3CX without any indication that in the background malicious code was running, executing various malicious commands. Um, So, you know, 3CX, which says it provides office phone systems to 600,000 companies globally confirmed on Thursday that its desktop apps for Windows and Mac OS have been compromised by suspected state-sponsored attackers. So similar-ish to uh, what happened with um, Kaseya and the SolarWinds and whatever, where you've got somebody and they get a hold of the application and they use it to push down malicious code and then bad things are on the other side of that. But the real concerning thing, I think, is, again, how do I know what the TTPs are and who's doing what and why? Is it helpful to an organization that they have to basically go off and figure this stuff out rather than just say, here it is? And I don't know why there's any issue about calling a duck a duck. If it if it's bite for bite match from something that's come from a North Korean hacking group in the past, it's probably them again. I mean, there's no reason to to veil that and keep it from, um, you know, just being r- frank about it. Like what, what are we going to lose? We're going to piss North Korea off. They're already mad about everything all the time. So whatever. Uh all right. Um, now for everybody that f- fell into the Silicon Valley bank thing, I'm not a banker or a lawyer, but this was interesting just from a readership perspective. This was in the Washington post. Silicon Valley Bank's risk model flashed red, so its executives changed it. Focus on profits, leaders made decisions that foreshadowed the bank's surprise failure. Um, Flushed with cash from a booming tech industry, SVB executives embarked on a strategy in 2020 to juice profits that quickly triggered an internal alarm. In buying longer-term investments that paid more interest, SVB had fallen out of compliance with a key risk metric. An internal model showed that higher interest rates could have a devastating impact on the bank's future earnings, according to former employees familiar with the modeling and spoke on the condition of anonymity. anonymity. Instead of heeding that warning and over the and, uh, and over the concerns of some staffers, SBB executives simply changed the model's assumptions, according to former employees and securities filings. The tweaks, which have not been previously reported, initially predicted that rising interest rates would have minimal impact. So, the bankers knew what was coming. They saw that it was there. They had a model that said that it was a bad idea. And because of profits, they just switched the models, switched the numbers. On March 8th, the bank was forced to raise additional cash by selling securities at a $1.8 billion loss that touched off the panic. And then it went to the next thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, This episode shows that executives knew early on that higher interest rates could jeopardize the bank's future earnings. Which, unless you were living on a rock, and I'm not a banker, back in January of this year, I knew that we were going to start seeing interest rates grow up. Instead of shifting course to mitigate the risk, they doubled down on a strategy to deliver near-term profits, displaying an appetite for risk that set the stage for SBV's or SBB's stunning meltdown. Management always wanted to tell a growth story. One former employee involved with the risk management team said, every quarter there was always the pressure to deliver earnings. Um, SBB's projections took effect last year and assumed that cash flow from deposits would stay consistent for longer, softening the projected bite of higher interest rates before changing the model an interest rate hike of two percentage points would drop a measure of future cash flows by more than 27% after the hit was less than five pushing for change. The assumptions was Dan Beck, SBB's chief financial officer. So the CFO basically is the one making these changes happen. The change made several mid-level bank officials uncomfortable and there were historical data on deposits to support it. So, um, you know, Bankers be banking, criminals be criminal, and a lot of times you can't tell the difference between the two, and here is another example of people chasing the dollar and w- willing to throw others under the bus, including all of those organizations in Silicon Valley that are basically running the cybersecurity market that had money there, and the bankers over leveraged everything and put you in a position where they they screwed up. And then what happens the federal government comes and bail them out. And we wind up paying for it as as taxpayers anyway. And while they say no taxpayer money came in as whatever else, sooner or later, taxpayer money works its way into this whole equation. I mean, that's just what happens. So um, I, I feel for you, if you were a customer of SBB bank, you should be pissed off. Like you should be upset. And this is a report in the Washington post backed up and validated by research and federal organizations that said that the leadership at that bank knew what was going on. They chose to do the wrong thing and they cooked the books to make it where it went. Um, that just shouldn't be okay with anybody if you ask me. So yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, but uh, but uh, it's also kind of worth noting too that a lot of organizations do this. They front load stuff to cook the books to get through a quarter so that their numbers always look good. You've got the rule of 30 or whatever they call it, rule of 40 whatever to continue to show growth and progress and, uh, without getting myself in trouble, like I've seen executives do this at a whole lot of organizations that, that will figure out ways to manipulate and cook numbers to make it where they see that hockey stick growth. Um, and then you see these crazy acquisitions go on and whatever else it, it's a house of cards and it doesn't take much for it to fall apart. Um, Lastly, because I like to keep this under 30 minutes, there's a really good report on Spiegel International, spiegel.de, S-P-I-E-G-E-L.de, that talks all about um, the uh, inside look at Putin's secret plans for cyber warfare. Now, if you're not familiar with this, go read it. It's really, really good read, um, The Vulcan Files, A Look Inside Putin's Secret Plans for Cyber Warfare. Uh, this is really good because they go into some really specific stuff. They go into details. It even shows locations. It shows buildings. Um, it runs through a whole bunch of interesting points on when things happen, who did what, uh, et cetera. Um, if you're looking for a report to read in Q1 of, of this year, I think this is it. It doesn't get much better than this. Uh, this is the type of reporting... I wish we saw for more organizations because it's it's factual, it's frank, it's honest and it's clearly understandable. Like you don't have to be um, you don't have to be a cybersecurity ninja to understand this report. So if you have time, go read this thing on Der Spiegel and check it out. And yes, I will put the links into this when I'm done because it's easier to do that when it's all over with. But look at that. Um, and you the, the spread and breadth and depth of what's going on with the Russian military to influence, to target, to exploit, et cetera, it's, it's staggering. Um, and the thing that's concerning even further than that is in the U S um, and I'm speaking as a selfish, you know, United States citizen, we, uh, we have an election cycle coming up in the very near future and they're getting better at this all the time. And we will see additional exploitation types of operations as we get closer to that election and all the things going on in the u.s right now make it even better like if you're ever looking for a perfect climate as an adversary to try and cause problems and hate and discontent at the national level right now is it um and it's only going to get worse so expect that but check this report out it's it's um It's really, really interesting. Uh, I I think we need more of this. Now, last report, and I won't read through the whole thing, but there's so much conversation going around about AI. Um, This is from Dan Snow. It's in the Telegraph. The race to develop AI is out of control and as dangerous as the Manhattan Project. Now it's an interesting report, but is artificial intelligence, which number one, we're not dealing with AI right now. We're dealing with powerful machine learning and whatever else AI is sentient. AI is aware of itself. AI is a whole other animal. We're not there yet. However, is it possible if you take some of these models and put them in the right place and combine a bunch of other stuff that you could create a potentially sentient thing, maybe, Um, you know, applied general artificial intelligence i don't think we're there yet but there's there's a possibility um is it as dangerous as the manhattan project if it ever got loose maybe so maybe not um i mean a nuke concerns me a lot more than uh, artificial intelligence but if you're interested in artificial intelligence if you're interested in cyber the implications societal etc whatever I would read this report. There are some some pretty good uh, points that he makes, and some takeaways, some corollaries that are worth reading about. But on the grand scheme of things, you know, worrying about AI, uh, I'll worry about AI after we fix shitty passwords and bad logins. Um, I'll get to that later. I'm not, you know, my my I'm not losing sleep at night over artificial intelligence. Um, it's a good report, though. All right. It's been 27 minutes, uh, 28 minutes. Um, folks have got other things to do than listen to me. I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening in. And as always, if I can be of assistance, please reach out. Um, like I usually say, stay smart, stay safe, stay secure. See you on the next one. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.